Hi, this is Doug Hooley, and you're listening to the Called Out Cafe podcast. This is episode number nine in the current series titled, Choose Your Jesus Wisely. If you're new to the Called Out Cafe, you might want to check out the first two series I did. The first one was based on my book titled, Watch. It's based on the first book I wrote by the same title. Watch is an exposition on Jesus' Olivet Discourse found in Matthew 24 and 25, Mark 13, and Luke 21, where Jesus talked about His return and the end of the age. The last series was titled, The Biblical Worldview of the Spirit Realm. In that series, I discussed the history of the unseen realm according to the Bible. So, if you've got some time on your hands and you want to do so, you might want to check those two series out. I think there's somewhere around 40 episodes between the two of them. In the last episode of this series, I talked about the Christianized inductive study method of the Bible. If you didn't hear that episode, you might want to check it out before listening to this one. I think this one will make a lot more sense if you do. Well, the Christianized inductive study method of the Bible would have us believe that If anything applied to someone like the Apostle Paul in the Bible, logically, then it should apply to me. If Paul behaved in a certain way and it's recorded in the Bible, then logically, I need to imitate his behavior so I can expect the same results that he received. Since Paul enthusiastically and sacrificially spread the gospel to the uttermost parts of the known world, logically, I should spread the gospel in the same way. At first glance, the inductive Bible study approach seems to match up with Paul's own commands to, quote, imitate, unquote, him, as though what was right for him to do is right for any other Christian to do. Yet, there's nothing logical about this approach. Paul was the missionary's missionary, a Christian among Christians, a theologian's theologian. Jesus had called him to be an evangelist. With so many others to choose from, Jesus chose Paul to spread the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles throughout the known world. After his calling, It appears that almost everything Paul did in life, right up until his death, was for the purpose of spreading the gospel. Paul is considered by many to be the quintessential Christian. In many churches I've attended over the years, I've been encouraged, along with the rest of the congregation, to try and be more like Paul. One church my family and I attended believed that only the writings of Paul were pertinent for the modern church to study. (laughs) They believe Jesus came and spoke primarily to the Jews, that the other apostles were left to try and convert Jews to Christianity, and that only Paul had a direct message for the Gentiles. I never actually heard these words, praise be to Paul, uttered in that church, but I don't think it would have been a surprise. If ever there was a mere mortal to imitate the behavior of Surely it would be Paul. And don't many translations of Scripture say to imitate him? According to most translations, Paul himself wrote, Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. 
You can read that in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 11, verse 1. He repeated close to the same words later on in that letter. However, before we start imitating Paul, let's think through it a little bit. To assume universality of Paul's qualifications, life experiences, education, divinely dictated mandates and circumstances is absurd. To say that such can be imitated or reproduced is equally absurd. To say this is even possible for Christians to accomplish this means that it should be possible for every Christian, 12-year-old, 6th-grade girl or boy who's just been spiritually reborn, to be a mini-version of the Apostle Paul. Yet, Paul was a uniquely qualified child of God, one with a one-of-a-kind ministry, living in a unique period of history. Paul was well-educated for his time and an expert on Judaism. He had the credentials of once being Christianity's greatest critic and persecutor, who turned into a devout follower of Jesus. But what really sets Paul apart from everyone today is that he was an apostle of Jesus. An apostle of Jesus is one who's personally been appointed by him to authoritatively speak on his behalf. Not just speak on Jesus' behalf like any disciple might today. They might present the gospel based on their knowledge of the Bible and give their personal testimony. Rather, an apostle would speak on Jesus' behalf as the living God would directly communicate divine truth through them at different times. They would speak and write on behalf of God in a way that would bring about the New Testament, the testimonial document that would carry the message of Jesus for, so far, thousands of years. There's no one today that Jesus has personally appointed to act on his behalf in such a way. Popes are appointed by a council of men, not face-to-face -face by Jesus on the road to Damascus or any other road for that matter. Secondly, an apostle of Jesus is one that either witnessed the life of Jesus in person or through a revelation provided by him. The latter is, of course, the case with Paul. Let me read this from Galatians 1, verses 11 to 12. This is Paul writing. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's quite a qualification for Paul. Besides the experience of Paul being called on the road to Damascus and the revelation of the gospel that came directly to him from Jesus, Paul tells us of being caught up to the third heaven, where he received supernaturally imparted information that he couldn't even talk or write about. Again, I'm not aware of it, I really am doubtful, but there is no one alive today who can provide first-hand knowledge regarding the life and miracles of Jesus, either through directly witnessing it or divine revelation. A third thing that sets the apostles of Jesus apart from all others is that they also had the distinguishing ability to perform signs and wonders, which established their authority and credibility. Paul was not an exception. Let's read this from Acts chapter 19, verses 11 to 13. 
Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. There is no one in history or alive today that can pull off a realistic imitation of Paul. Even the scripture directly points out what was happening with Paul was unusual, like a normal miracle compared to an unusual miracle. Because of the extreme uniqueness of the calling of Paul and the role that he played in God's plan, I have no expectation that my life will come close to resembling the life of Paul. I doubt if I'll even be caught up to the third heaven anytime soon or be struck blind on the road to Eugene, where I live close to. People will never clamor for one of my used Kleenexes in the hopes that they'll heal their infirmities with it. Similarly, I don't expect that Jesus will use me to be the first one in history to take the gospel throughout the known world of the Gentiles, nor will Jesus likely cause me to author a new percentage of the New Testament. Those things have been done. God used Paul in a unique place and time for those purposes. I'll not even expect to be a light version of Paul. God has other things in mind for me in the time that we are living in, and I'm just fine with that. God has called out and used a few Christians since the Apostle Paul in historically notable ways. Thomas Aquinas, Martin Luther, Billy Graham, those guys. However, my life will much more likely resemble the lives of the scores of people Paul wrote his letters to in his day, or the millions of authentic children of God who have lived ever since then that are only historically noteworthy to God. I can't expect the same results as Paul by doing the same things Paul did, because my part in God's plan is different. There are, of course, things that are common to all followers of Jesus that Paul and I hold in common. Human suffering, physical death, joy, sin, the hope of Jesus' coming, eternal life, and knowing Jesus. The same is true of every other major character in the Bible. Before I go on, I want to just say that I'm not picking on Paul here. (laughs) Paul is just serving as an example for all the other Bible characters we can talk about. Well, people are selective about how they apply the Christianized inductive Bible study method to their lives. Normally, one will choose to superimpose only the positive or the benefits they've read in Scripture and not the negative. This, as though something will magically prevent the bad from happening and will cause the good to occur. The Christianized inductive Bible study formula will work something like the following when the SOAP, S-O-A-P, model is applied. First, SOAP is a very common version of the inductive Bible study method used by thousands, tens of thousands. SOAP stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. I'll take you through this method now using a fictitious example. First, the Scripture. Remember, this is a fictitious example. Don't look for it in your Bible. 
And the brethren showed their love and gratitude to Paul by X. But when Paul arrived in Ephesus, the crowd became greatly upset and severely Y, Paul almost to the point of death. That's from the book of First Fictitions, chapter 3, verses 13 to 14. Well, once we read a scripture, the S, scripture, we do O for observation. Here are my observations of this passage. X took place in Paul's life. X is good. I like X. But Y also took place in Paul's life. Y equals trials, tribulations, and other bad things. I don't like Y. Well, following the observations we do, the A, or application, comes next. That's where we apply it to our lives. Here's my application. If X took place in Paul's life, then X could take place in my life. If I imitate what Paul was doing when X happened to him, then X will occur in my life. God does not want Y for my life. Remember, X are the good things, Y are the bad things. Finally, following the application of the scripture to my life, we do the P part. That stands for prayer. My prayer regarding this scripture would be, Dear Lord, please make me more like Paul, so X will happen in my life. People love to think that because Paul was a highly successful, soul-winning miracle worker who received personal revelations from Jesus, that they could also be if they only imitate Paul correctly. They would never choose to think that by imitating Paul they could expect to be beaten on several occasions, shipwrecked, whipped, thrown into prison, abandoned, and beheaded like Paul was. I don't have any way of knowing for sure, but my guess is that most paid pastors that say one should try to be like Paul don't try to imitate Paul by holding down a full-time job while also teaching about the gospel full-time. Paul not only paid for his own household expenses, but supported others as well. Also, not accentuated by the Bible teachers who encourage their students to imitate Paul is his humanness. Paul not only spent time actively hunting down and persecuting Christians, but he remained a sinful, flawed human whom God used not because of his qualifications, but despite his flaws. It's not Paul that anyone should focus on. It's God who used him. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul wrote that he is the chief among sinners. Many who attempt to keep Paul seated on a pedestal explain Paul's terrible sin as having occurred prior to his blinding light conversion on the road to Damascus. Prior to that event, we know Paul sought out and persecuted Christians like he was on a holy crusade to do so. He thought he was helping to destroy what he understood to be a twisted cult. The language Paul used in his letter to Timothy regarding his sin indicates that Paul was not only referring to his Christian hunting past, 
He specifically used the present tense of the verb, I am, when he said, I am chief among sinners. Being a sinner was not something that Paul once was. It was something he considered himself to be at the time of writing the letter to his protege, Timothy, which was very late in Paul's life. We don't know what sin or sins Paul was struggling with. All we know is that he was in an ongoing battle with sin, like we all are. Paul discussed his struggle with sin in his letter to the church at Rome. In that letter, Paul says he wanted to do good, but instead, by his own admission, he continued to do evil. Let me read you that passage. This is Romans chapter 7, verses 18 to 20. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present within me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Paul simply saying, for I want to do what I do not do, but do what I hate to do. <laughs> simply. Of course, the struggle with sin was and is not unique to Paul. Paul is humbly using himself as an example to illustrate the struggle that is common to all who have been spiritually reborn. My point here is not to say Paul's a bad guy or worse sinner than anyone else. The point here is to call attention to the fact that the only thing different about Paul is the way that Jesus, the real hero of this story, used Paul despite Paul's flaws. Most miss the fact that Paul's work while he was on earth was not entirely successful. Most places he planted churches got off track which is why we have many of the, of the letters in the New Testament. In the end, prior to his execution, Paul said that everyone had forsaken him and he had been abandoned by most of his companions. In his loneliness, he reached out to his protege, Timothy, to come visit him. It was Jesus that took the letters that Paul wrote in his name and made them a part of the book that informs us of his good news. Paul was acting as a servant, a tool in the master's hands. Paul was not responsible for his own works. He didn't decide what to do that would benefit the kingdom of God. He didn't have a committee that told him what to do, or a missions team, a board. The works that Paul did had been decided for him. The will of Jesus was carried out through him. It was irresistible to him. He was appointed to walk in those ways, and he recognized that. Paul was not responsible for coming up with what to write in what became the Bible. The divine expression, the logos, Jesus was responsible for that. Jesus took a Christian-hating, Mosaic law-based guy and turned him into the ultimate Christian-loving, grace-based guy. What chisel or paintbrush is ever given credit for creating a masterwork of art? Who would ever reason, if only I had Rembrandt's paintbrush, 
I could paint just like him. Or, I need to learn to be more like Rembrandt's paintbrush. (laughs) Instead, doesn't it make more sense to appreciate what it is that the art is communicating? And then give credit where credit is due to the artist. How great it is that God used the chief among sinners to accomplish what he did through Paul. To accomplish this was like an artist picking up a worn-out, filthy rag and painting a great, detailed, transfixing, life-changing masterpiece with it. The artist has proven again just what a master artist that he is. Have you ever heard a virtuoso guitarist pick up a cheap student model guitar and make it sound like a million dollar instrument? I have. It's a testament to the ability of the musician's skills and their artistry to accomplish such a thing. Well, that's what happened with Jesus and Paul. There is no credit left to be given except to Jesus. There is no one to follow except for Jesus. The credit for the good that Paul was a part of, the gospel being taken to the world of the Gentiles, must be given to the will of God being played out through Paul. This occurred not because of Paul's overwhelming conviction one day to save the lost and preach the gospel. Paul didn't likely have a pocket full of four spiritual laws pamphlets to hand out, and I doubt he relied on a bridge diagram which he used as a visual aid to teach the gospel. It wasn't because Paul had magical skills and abilities that he used to summon up God's powers as he thought was necessary. And it wasn't because he lived a highly moral life that Jesus would reveal things through him. Paul was walking along a road with other intentions far from serving Jesus when Jesus himself shanghaied Paul. From that moment on, not leaving it up to Paul's wisdom and judgment, The Holy Spirit intervened from time to time directly in Paul's life, telling him what to do next. Being led by the Spirit in this way was not because of something Paul was doing, but it was because the work that God was doing required God's direct intervention. This, as 2,000 years of history has proven, is entirely atypical for any child of God to experience. Trying to be like Paul is completely missing the point of what God said and did through Paul. So what about Paul's encouragement to, quote, imitate, unquote, him? It says that in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. Besides meaning imitate, the Greek word mimitai also can mean to follow. In fact, that's how the word is translated in the original King James Version of the Bible. Because of some reasons I'll cite, I agree with the King James Version. This verse is more appropriately translated like this. This is my translation. Follow me, even as I do Christ. Paul is not calling people to imitate his own behavior. To do so would be to call them to join Paul in being chief among sinners. Where would one draw the line with imitating Paul? Becoming tent makers? Getting thrown in jail? Traveling the Mediterranean by boat? 
Paul is obviously calling people to join him in following Jesus. Could anyone even pull off a legitimate imitation of Jesus? There is one Jesus. He is God. He did many miracles. He received prophetic information from his Father in heaven. He knew what was in men's hearts. Normal humans that are not born of a virgin or destined to rise from the dead under his or her own power can imitate these things. To imitate him would be extremely limited to human behaviors. And even then, since humans are so prone to sin, an adequate imitation of Christ is impossible. We can, however, like Paul, follow him. A few years ago, there was a humorous commercial that spoofed Olympic ice skating. I'm not even sure what it was advertising, but it shows a half-naked, 300-plus-pound sumo wrestler performing simple moves like just staying upright while he's in ice skates in front of a large crowd. It was funny because it was so absurd when you compare the sumo wrestler to a real Olympic-level ice skater. Yet, this is roughly what it would be like if I were to attempt to imitate Jesus. (laughs) As his servant, I know my place. Even as a, quote, joint heir, unquote, or a junior brother of Jesus, I know my place. It's to act in my role, not his. It's to be the servant and junior brother Jesus wants me to be. Even after decades, several decades now, of following and loving Jesus, I am no more prepared or able to act like or imitate him now than I was in my youth. To attempt to do so would be about as successful as it would be for a sheep to stand up on its own hind legs and attempt to do the job of the shepherd. It's my job to know the shepherd and to recognize and be responsive to his voice. Authentic children of God are not called to imitate Jesus in his role as the miracle-working Messiah. 2,000 years of history has shown that no one else has ever successfully been able to pull that off. Yet we keep encouraging people to try. Anyone who has tried has miserably failed. The word imitate, given the far more acceptable alternative of follow, is a mistranslation into 21st century English. Like Paul, Anyone who is appointed to can follow Jesus. Jesus, the unique Son of God and Son of Man, was meant to be followed throughout eternity. His close disciples and many others followed him when he walked the earth. He continues to call his disciples to follow him today. Those that know him will follow him. Listen to these words from John chapter 12, verse 26. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. And another one here from John 10:27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. 
If anything, this admonition from Paul of following him was to urge his fellow paintbrushes to understand that they, like him, are simply tools in the master's hands. Tools that, if they should be so privileged, will be used by the master as he carries out his will and lives his life through them. Paul also urged those he was writing to imitate, or more appropriately, follow him earlier in his first letter to the Corinthians. Again, this proves to be anything but an admonition to idealize Paul and emulate his behaviors and lifestyle. Listen to this verse. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 15 to 16. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Here again, the same Greek word that's used here, mimetai, and translated as imitate, would be better translated as follow. Although most translations do translate the word here as imitate, the original King James Version again translates it as follow. In this case, the statement Paul makes to imitate or follow him is in the context of pointing out that although the church in Corinth may have many teachers telling them what to think about Jesus, Paul's advice is that they should follow his teaching. In the verses preceding this scripture where he encourages the Corinthians to follow his teaching, Paul writes about the hardships involved with being in the unique role of an apostle. It's unlikely that he's asking the Corinthians to imitate enduring the experiences he describes, like being hungry, thirsty, naked, homeless, reviled, persecuted, defamed, and being made as filth. Rather, it reads like a list of Paul's experiences, not examples. Validating his credentials as an apostle and providing reasons the Corinthians should follow Paul's teaching not imitate his behavior or experiences. In the verse following Paul's encouragement to follow him, Paul tells the Corinthians that his assistant, Timothy, will come and inform them about Paul's teaching. Would one follow Paul's teaching or imitate Paul's teaching? Paul, in this passage, was addressing other influences in the lives of people in Corinth, rightfully so. Other voices besides Paul's had been attempting to instruct and influence them in, away from the truth. Yet, it was Paul that Jesus chose as a means to reveal himself through. It was Jesus' teachings that he revealed through Paul that was to be followed. So, to sum up Paul's advice here, he would say this, So, I urge you to follow my teaching, not the other guy's. Paul may be one of the highest-ranking proto-Christians that modern-day preachers encourage their listeners to imitate. However, there are as many Christian, what I call masters, referred to in the Bible as there are Bible characters. Regardless of the Bible story, utilizing the Christian inductive Bible study method, there's something to learn from every character that will help us live better, more moral, and more successful lives. Although those masters that came before Jesus in the Bible would be more appropriately referred to as Jewish masters. 
According to today's teaching, Master Abraham's life is looked to as the quintessential example of living by faith. Master Noah's life showed us that what we can expect as an example of righteous living. Master Job taught us the payoff when one has extreme patience and endurance. Oh, Master Moses pointed the way to living according to a moral code that leads to righteousness. Master Samson taught us how to be strong. Master David showed us the many advantages when one becomes a person after God's own heart. If I could only be like all these masters, then I would have a successful life on earth. Not. <laughs> Rather than the Bible being made up of stories containing characters, which serve as examples to be imitated, in every Bible story, you're going to find a mere mortal human character that God used despite their flaws, their sin, and their disobedience. It's as though God purposely chose the most unobvious, least qualified, least capable, sinful human beings to accomplish His will through. This made obvious His own qualifications, His capabilities, and His holiness. Because Abraham didn't take God seriously about the promise that he would have, an, have a son by Sarah, he had sex with Sarah's servant. Noah drank too much wine and passed out drunk. Job questioned God. Moses resisted what God wanted him to do. Samson was hardly a picture of virtue and violated his oath to God. And David was a scheming, adulterous murderer. The Bible is so much more than a series of stories that were designed to make us better, more successful people here and now in this current age. Repeatedly, God showed us through these men not what to look to as examples of what to imitate, but examples to show us who He is and what He does through His chosen vessels. He told us a story through Moses, David, and the others that demonstrated his own character qualities, qualities that are worthy of our praise and our adoration, qualities that deserve our trust. He used the people found in the Bible stories as crude tools in his hands to bring about his masterpiece story, a story which is the very logos of himself, his own divine expression of who he is. His divine expression, which existed in the beginning. The story which includes His own divine expression, made flesh, Jesus. Well, in summary, many pastors and Bible teachers regularly point to the Bible characters as examples for us to imitate, to bring about a desired outcome, which would be either beneficial to ourselves or the body of Christ. There are, of course, things that are in common to all humans. However, due to the uniqueness of the story God is telling us in the Bible, most often what happens to the handful of humanity that he communicated his story through in the Bible was not normative, and we should not expect the same outcomes as they experienced. We should instead focus on what it is the authors of the various passages were trying to communicate to their reading what the capital A author, God, is trying to communicate to us. Please, do not reduce the Bible down to a self-help guide, a how-to manual, or a rule book. 
If you read it in that way, that's all you will ever see. You'll only ever enjoy limited success in what you're attempting to use it for, since you'll have tragically missed the point of what the Bible is. It's God's story of who He is, starring Jesus. If you want to follow Christ, then, like Paul, get to know and understand the Jesus of the Bible. Well, false gods love to distract their followers with behaviors they want them to imitate. It makes people feel more religious and as though they're really making progress and participating in their salvation. Another technique false gods love to use is changing the meaning of key biblical words such as even faith and hope. Well, that's the religious paradigm rattling topic for the next podcast. Until then, may God bless you and Maranatha. Thanks for joining me today. Until my next podcast, you can follow me on Facebook by going to the Doug Hooley Ministries page. I'm on Twitter at at Doug H. Ministries. And I'm on Instagram at Doug Hooley Ministries. Find out about what I'm working on and read some of my blogs at DougHooley.com. Or email me at Doug at DougHooley.com. That's Doug at D-O-U-G-H-O-O-L-E-Y dot com. I'd love to hear from you. This has been the Called Out Cafe. So long and God bless. Thank you.